everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a great whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. I am stoked that it is fall. Objectively, the best season. I uh, just went apple picking, which is one of the many things that is great about fall. I like the fact that you get to kind of vulture the fruit production process and just like pick up the ball at the one yard line and walk it in casually and then act like you had something to do with the food production. That's a nice time for me. What else is great about fall? I don't know, man. You got Halloween. You get your pie baking. You get to wear blazers, finally. Finally. What do the other seasons have to offer? Let's see. Spring, you get flowers. Flowers are nice. I'm partial to lilacs. Eh, spring's okay. Summer, hard pass. No thank you. Too hot. Winter is okay. You get relative safety from bears, which I appreciate. They're all hibernating, so that's a nice time for me. But that does mean it's another knock against spring, because in spring, yeah, you get flowers, but also the bears are just waking up, so they're grumpy as fuck, man. You run into a bear and, like, March, dude's going to be like, roar, roar, I'm just going to savage you. Don't even talk to me before I eat several campers. I'm a real me before I have my coffee. You don't want that. So fall just widened its lead over spring. Nice job, fall. You know what's another great sleeper thing about fall? It's got a fun, dumb name. It's the only season that sounds like it was named by, like, cartoon Tarzan. What happened this season? Leaves fall. Call season fall. I differentiate cartoon Tarzan from book Tarzan because like in Edgar Rice Burroughs novels, he had Tarzan being like a super genius who spoke like eight languages. It was like pretty much a perfect dude in every way, except, you know, that he was super racist. Book Tarzan probably would have called fall something long and flowery in French or racial slur and then done like a thousand push-ups on top of the word. But my point is fall is a fun dumb caveman-y name for a season, and I like it. Plus, if you feel like classing it up, you got autumn sitting right over there, you can call it. I enjoy autumnal activities. And I do. You know what else I enjoy? Talking to you good folks about comic books. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. Don't steal from Doctor Strange, even if you're a crook. Don't expect just because he's great, Wong will always cook. Don't pee in the water, Namor calls his home. Don't take on Valkyrie with a Y chromosome. Don't be like city cops and make the Hulk so mad. Don't DNA test Kyle if he might be your dad. Flee before Aragorn gives you a big slop kiss. I'd much rather chill and listen to Hub Synopsis. Thanks, Eric. That was fun. Defenders number 39. September 1976. Riot in Cell Block 12. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Klaus Jansen, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by Irv Watanabe, and Gene Hip, and Gaspar Saladin, edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup Valkyrie, Nighthawk, Power Man, Red Guardian. Doctor Strange, Clea, sort of, and Jack Norris, I guess. Previously in the Defenders, 
Billionaire do well bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, got his brain burgled by some bizarrely beamed baddies named the Headmen. In the course of retrieving their non-teammates' misplaced mind, the defenders were briefly captured by the aforementioned strangely skulled supervillains, who took the opportunity to perform some involuntary neurosurgery of an indeterminate nature on Valkyrie, the Hulk, and Doctor Strange. After recovering from these mysterious medical ministrations, our heroes defeated their non-traditionally noodled nemeses and skedaddled with Nighthawk's brain, which was resting comfortably in a bowl of strange chemicals. Probably not the ideal storage solution for a disembodied brain, but to be fair, that thing wasn't exactly in mint condition to begin with. After a series of cerebellum switcheroos and a few run-ins with a clown-themed self-help cult run by an unscrupulous extraterrestrial geologist with a flair for the dramatic, our protagonist headed home. Stephen Strange used the government contacts that he apparently had to procure a work visa for the world's preeminent brain surgeon, Dr. Tanya Belinsky, so that she could help reinsert Kyle's brain into its original packaging. The surgery was a success, but soon afterward the gang was surprised to learn that in addition to her primary career as a celebrated skull surgeon, Dr. Belinsky also moonlit as the unsanctioned by the state swashbuckling Soviet superhero, the Red Guardian. While Steve and Tanya were operating on Kyle, the Hulk got angry. Or bored or something, and leapt off. Valkyrie and Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body the sorcerously created persona Valkyrie currently inhabits, jumped on Val's flying horse Aragorn and took to the skies in search of their capricious comrade. Unfortunately, the connubially confused couple didn't bump into their bounding behemoth buddy. Instead, they ran afoul of one of the headmen, the C-minus sorcerer Chandu the Mystic. Chandu wasn't in a great mood. A little while ago, he had taken Nighthawk's then-empty body out for a joyride, but while he was out, the maladroit mystic's crazily craniumed cohort made certain modifications to his unoccupied body. Chandu found that his new body had bat wings, a unicorn horn, chicken legs, a snake tongue, and that his arms had been replaced by six eels. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the enraged enchanter went on a rampage. Upon encountering Val and Jack, Chandu immediately attacked, blasting Aragorn out of the sky. Jack Norris, who had recently resolved not to be an asshole anymore, stayed up on the roof with the perforated Pegasus while Valkyrie combated the Chimeric Conjurer. The sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger smacked the shit out of the second-rate sorcerer, but unfortunately, she damaged a swanky restaurant in the process. For the unpardonable act of inconveniencing wealthy lunchgoers, Valkyrie was thrown in prison where a mean lady named Francine tried to bully her. The Hulk calmed down and leapt back into town. Hi, the Hulk! The irascible Emerald Avenger carried Jack Norris and an injured Aragorn to an animal shelter. Then he got mad again and leapt off. Bye, the Hulk! A plant-controlling criminal imaginatively named Plant Man tried to kidnap a convalescing Kyle who was suffering from some strangely psychedelic side effects of his recent brain transplant. Steve and the Red Guardian attempted to thwart the villainous Vegapath, but Steve was suffering from some sort of mental blockage which led to magical impotence. So the gang called Luke Cage, hero for hire, who showed up just in time to punch Plant Man in the dick. Hooray! But no sooner had their floral foe fled than our heroes got kidnapped by those clown cult space assholes I mentioned earlier. Fortunately, Kyle shrugged off his existential angst, Steve triumphed over his perfectly normal prestidigitation performance anxiety, and our titular non-team escaped their captivity and headed home to the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Gadzooks! What steps will Steve take to treat his case of enchantile dysfunction? How long will the Hulk stay on hiatus? And what effect did numerous brain surgeries and a prolonged psychedelic freakout have on Kyle Richmond? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so he locks himself in his room and won't come out. Tough to tell. 
I mean, he's on the cover of the next issue, but he was also on the cover of this issue, in which he does not appear. And, sadly, as near as I can tell, none. I had high hopes, but he's pretty much back to being a self-important asshole. Damn it, Kyle! The Defenders are hanging out at Doctor Strange's sanctum. Steve has barricaded himself in his room and is meditating and consulting whatever the cosmic introspection version of WebMD is until he can consistently get his magic up again. It's been the better part of a day, and everyone is getting a little bored of sitting around and waiting for Steve to figure his shit out. Suddenly, Jack Norris bursts into the room, bellowing his signature catchphrase, Where's my wife? Ah, so the old Jack is back. The rest of the Defenders admit that they haven't seen Val for a couple of days and have no idea where she is, but just assume that wherever she is, she's probably doing great. After all, she has a sword. Fair enough. Jack refuses to be placated by reminders of Val's competence and sword ownership. The matrimonially-minded meathead relates to the assembled superheroes most of the events that I went over in the previously in the Defenders thing I just read you. The notable exception being Val's incarceration on account of nobody knows that Val is incarcerated. Hence the, where's my wife? You know, despite the fact that Val has explained to him many times that she isn't really his wife. When Jack finishes up his expositional recap, Nighthawk is like, yeah, okay, I was bored anyway. Let's go look for Valkyrie. Then he starts ordering everyone around, because I guess with Steve locked in his room using the private browser window on the Eye of Agamotto, that leaves Kyle the only white guy on the team. Except for Jack, and Jack doesn't count. Deciding to humor Kyle and follow his orders, the defenders split up and go searching for their missing non-teammate. Speaking of Valkyrie, just how is our Huskow harbored heroine faring? Not great. Seeing as Val's particular brand of Achilles' heel is that if she ever harms another lady, she gets a near-fatal case of the dry heaves, being locked in a women's prison has been less than ideal. A mean lady named Francine has been bullying her something fierce. So, last issue... Val dumped a bowl of soup on Fran's head, which was delightful. While the Norse warrior's brand of soup redistributing justice was technically non-violent enough not to trigger her enchantment-inspired tummy trouble, it did cause enough of a scene that Val has been hauled into the warden's office. The bad news is that the warden is a real piece of shit and tries to get handsy with Valkyrie, implying that unless she submits to his advances, she will be punished. The good news is Val beats the shit out of the molesty creep. She picks the shitty fuckwad up by his necktie and then flings him through a bookcase. Hooray! Unfortunately, crashing headfirst through a shelf full of books neither killed nor educated the involuntarily airborne asshole. He yells for some guards to apprehend Val and then escorts her back to her cell. When they arrive at their destination, the warden tries to humiliate her in front of the other prisoners, but Val sasses the shit out of him. Then she punches the shit out of him, right in his stupid sexual predator face. Hooray! You know what? I think that deserves another one. Hooray! The other prisoners have a reaction not dissimilar to mine. Val is dragged off to solitary confinement, but that suits her just fine. She's pretty over people right now. I get it. Meanwhile, the other defenders are out looking for her. Red Guardian and Luke Cage are poking around Times Square when Luke thinks he spots Val's hairdo. When he gets a little closer, he realizes that it is a strung-out lady with similar coiffure, but who otherwise bears little resemblance to the Viking swordswoman. He makes an admittedly half-hearted apology and turns to leave. Then the lady's shitty drunk boyfriend steps in and says some racist shit to Luke. Bad move, shitty drunk boyfriend. On so many levels. Luke tells the guy to shut up and fuck off, and once again turns to leave. But 
the shitty drunk boyfriend has more terrible ideas to take out for a test drive. He gets out a knife and tries to stab Luke Cage. The knife shatters harmlessly against Cage's steel-hard skin. Luke turns to the Red Guardian and is like, Hey, Tanya, this guy's really pissing me off, and I'm kind of worried I might kill him. Would you be a pal and kick the shit out of him for me? Tanya's like, Niet problem, and kicks the shit out of the guy. Hooray! Back at the women's penitentiary, Val decides that she's tired of solitary confinement and would like to break out of jail. So she rips the steel door off its hinges and strolls down the hallway. She's somewhat surprised to find out that she is far from the only prisoner who has freed herself from her cell. Apparently, after Val was taken to solitary, one of the guards strayed too close to the bars and an inmate lifted their keys. Infuriated by Val's unfair treatment and inspired by her chutzpah, the incarcerated women opened up their cell doors, took the predatory warden and his guards hostage, and started a prison riot. Unfortunately, the movement was almost immediately co-opted by Val's chief tormentor, Francine, who is now claiming to have been Val's most stalwart chum and the person best equipped to speak on the detained defender's behalf. Jeez, looks like someone's angling to get another soup hat. Meanwhile, Kyle Richmond has just learned from the police commissioner that his pal Val has been arrested. The city's top cop is basically like, I am so sorry, Mr. Richmond. If we had known that she was wealth-adjacent, we never would have arrested your friend. What a silly mistake. We'll release her right away. Wait, she's white, isn't she? Okay, technically, that last part is just implied. But still, this is by far the most realistic scene we have seen in this comic so far. The apologetic commissioner is about to start the process of arranging for Val's release when he receives a phone call. He is dismayed to learn that there's a riot going on, isn't just a criminally underappreciated Sly and the Family Stone album. It's also a literal description of what is happening inside the women's penitentiary where our favorite Asgardian Amazon is being held. The defenders beat feet down to the prison. Steve is still locked in his room, but his girlfriend slash student, a perfectly normal and not at all problematic hybrid relationship, Clea, has accompanied our heroes to lend her magical assistance. As she creates an enormous ball of light which blinds and distracts the police who surround the jail, the rest of the non-team, led by a somewhat reluctant Luke Cage, Kool-Aid man their way into the big house. When they get inside, they find that Val has just mopped the floor with her erstwhile bully Francine. She has? But I thought Val was physically incapable of harming another woman. What happened? Well... At first, Val did some rope-a-dope shit, absorbing Fran's punches and letting her assailant tire herself out. Then Fran started trying to shiv her, and Val dodged a bunch. Finally, Francine went full WWF on the situation and tried to hit Valkyrie with a chair. Val grabbed the chair and flung it full force against the wall. Because Fran was still holding on to the chair, she too went flying and crashed headfirst into the wall. Huh. I mean, I guess technically she threw the chair, not the lady, but it seems like a pretty big risk to almost literally play jailhouse lawyer with your magical vulnerabilities. Still, worked out okay, and the mean lady got her comeuppance. So, hooray! Val leaves with the rest of the defenders, vowing as she does so to lobby for some prison reform once she is on the outside. Which will be in a few minutes, I guess. Wait, so the defenders just saunter out of the joint with no consequences after busting their friend out of prison? How does that work? Oh, yeah, right. Kyle is super rich. The system works. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am better now. Yeah? Yeah. What's made the difference, man? 
it was a long week, and then I read a funny comic book, and got to joke around with my brother, and had a large, strong beer. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that I could help you turn the corner. What'd you think of this comic? I enjoyed it. I also, I, I went back and I flipped through it a few times, because it seemed like a lot of pages for not a huge amount of things happening. I agree. It was a disjointed issue, and... When I first read it, I was like, well, I didn't really like that very much. But as I went back, there were a ton of things in it that I really liked. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So the comic book itself felt rushed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's just a first impression of it. There's a number of things that would seem to corroborate the fact that perhaps Steve Gerber was behind on a deadline and this comic book had to be finished very quickly. Some of the clues to that are, right off the bat, the fact that the cover does not match what is going on in the comic book pretty much at all. I would go so far as to say that the exposition on the cover, especially the bit about the Hulk, is the most misleading thing <laughs> that I have ever read. Yeah, it says, and if that's not enough, what the heck is happening to the Hulk? And the Hulk does not appear in the issue. Nothing is happening to the Hulk. He fucked off uh, and got sick of things after the cops, again, getting uh -huh. in trouble after bringing the horse to the ASPCA for veterinary treatment. Right. The Hulk only appears briefly in flashback where they talk about what we already knew about him. Mm -hmm. So maybe the other characters are wondering what the heck is happening to the Hulk. But the Hulk is, you know, not in the issue. He's not there. The rest of the cover is dominated by Clea creating an enormous fireball and Doctor Strange defending her as the other defenders are attacking her. Luke Cage is saying, Beans, Strange, she's turning the sun into a fireball. Also not true. No, she creates a fireball as a distraction. It, I, I don't even know what's a fireball. It's like just a bunch of light. Yeah. A big light. She basically makes a, what's that happening over there, cops? And that's all she does in the issue. She hasn't gone crazy. She's not doing a giant spell. What this cover reminded me of more than anything else is, are you familiar with 80s and 90s West African movie posters? No. You should familiarize yourself because they remind me a lot of this. It's in the 80s and 90s when American Hollywood movies would be playing in Ghana, I think specifically, the movie theaters would hire people to do these hand-painted posters of the movie that they would display. And the idea was we want to get as many people in to see the movie as possible, so make it look as exciting as you can. And sometimes they would have seen the Hollywood poster, sometimes not. Usually they hadn't seen the movie, the artist's. And so they would make things up. So I'm going to show you an image that is my favorite one ever. It is for the movie Moonstruck. Do you know the movie Moonstruck? With uh, Cher? And Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yes. okay. <laughs> this is the poster for Moonstruck. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you describe it for our audience? Um, Nicolas Cage, who looks more like Bruce Willis, Patrick Swayze, is fighting a giant snake with a knife. And it's all bloody and it's got shared who looks more like Elvira wrapped up and nope it's not just one snake it's two snakes or it's a snake that has two snake heads on each end of its body yeah those guys are really moonstruck damn <laughs> and then there's some other lady laying down in the other corner all all messed up and freaked out yeah so if you would like to see more images like that you should totally check out there's a, <laughs> a online site i think it's called deadly prey gallery but these posters are amazing and you should see as many of them as you can 
But that's kind of what this cover reminds me of. It's just like, uh, I heard rumors about something that might have happened in this comic book, so I'm just going to make something up that looks exciting. Mm-hmm. The cover art was done by Ed Hannigan, who was not the interior artist. The interior artist is Sal Buscema, or the interior penciler is Sal Buscema, and it's credited as layouts rather than pencils, and then the finished art instead of inks is credited to Klaus Janssen. So I think it may have been a different breakdown of the work. I think it may have been more of, of a blurred line, possibly because they were behind on the deadline for the art. The main tell, though, is there are three different letterers working on this. And I found it incredibly jarring when reading the issue. It's something that I normally don't pay a ton of attention to. But the first page is an uncredited letter. It was Gaspar Saladin. And he did the letters on the first page. And then the second through 22nd page is by Gene Hip. And then from the 22nd page on, it's Irv Watanabe, who is the regular letterer. And none of them are bad letterers. But it's inconsistent in a way that, especially between the first and second page, I found really, really jarring, and it's a slightly different style. Uh, Gene Hip's stuff reminds me more of Silver Age stuff than Bronze Age lettering, and like the word balloon spacing, I think, is just slightly different. Like I said, it's a testament to how consistent the lettering is normally that I really... I, I almost just never notice if, if it's done well, but when it's done in an inconsistent way, it, it really threw me on this in a way that I wasn't expecting. And the other issue that is like that in there is we talked a little bit about it in the last Defenders issue that we covered, but unfortunately, I think I had to edit that out because there were sound problems. But there's a newer colorist on this for the past few issues. It's a guy named Don Warfield. And I'm sure he normally does a good job, but on these Defenders issues, it's been a little bit inconsistent. And there were a few issues in this where that too was just like, what is going on here? One of the examples was kind of funny. It's in the background when Luke Cage and the Red Guardian are walking down the street and are talking about all the gray faces. Mm -hmm. And one of the people in the background is just colored gray. It's like, no, they didn't mean literally, dude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get it. It's a comic book. I guess there are some gray people, but... One of the other things is in the women's prison scenes, there are a couple of characters. Val is one of them sometimes, and the mean bully lady is another one, where in some panels they appear to be wearing just bright red, hastily applied lipstick. And in others they aren't, and it's just like, oh, that is a very specific choice that sometimes is there and sometimes isn't. And I thought that was almost like a printing error, because... The hastily appliedness of it, like it's... Val would do a much better job than that, I feel like. It made it almost look as if like somebody else just smashed lipstick over her mouth, like, make you look pretty. Mm. But as I said, all of that kind of leads me to believe, I know Steve Gerber had a lot of problems meeting deadlines with a lot of his writing. And during the time when this was coming out, he was also working on Howard the Duck, and that was getting more and more popular. So I think part of why this issue may have felt rushed was because it was rushed. I'm surprised that in the transition between pages one and two and three, you noticed the type difference because we also are treated to a flashback of Chandu and his crazy eel-armed, <laughs> chicken-footed, narwhal-headed weirdness. I feel like that may have just been in to distract us from the letter. <laughs> okay. Well, job well done. Whoa. Yeah. Improvements? <laughs> I, I want to see more of Chandu. I was disappointed he only appeared in the one flashback. Yeah, like you said, it seems like not a ton happened in this issue. It's 
almost entirely, we wrap up the Val being in prison storyline. I mean, there's a little brief statement kind of about prison reform that's made, but it's really just a few pages of it, and it makes it almost seem like there wasn't a larger point to her being arrested and going through her shit. That was very frustrating to me because I kept waiting for the payoff for, like, why is Val sitting there taking all this shit? It makes no sense. It's, you know, that's why she was the sucker for the last, what, like, right. two or three issues? And then finally she's like, okay, I've had enough. I'm getting out of here. Right. But... Why did we get this little diversion where Val is in prison for three issues? And now it takes almost the whole issue to get her out. Was there, I don't know if there, what the, was going on in the news of the time. I know Lady Jail movies were kind of popular in the in late the 70s. 70s. Yeah, you got your, your, your Black Mama, White Mama mm -hmm. movie. I think that may have been part of it. And in the previous issue, I think there was even maybe some kind of an allusion to like prison movies. I don't know. I think that was maybe the idea. It really seems like there was a larger idea for what the storyline was for her in prison. And then this issue, it was just like, I need something to do this issue. I put Val in prison. And so I guess now she's getting out of prison. Maybe when they started writing it, it was one of those things where, you, you know, you're, you're spitballing ideas and it uh -huh. just sounded super heavy. And they're like, and then Luke Cage will have to break into jail, but he was in jail. So, uh -huh. and then uh, reform and revolution and oh my gosh these big ideas and then it just sort of is not very exciting yeah although as i went back and reread it there's a lot of stuff in this issue that i really like and a lot of it is about both valkyrie and luke cage they're both great in this issue and luke cage specifically he he's just so cool he's really confident but in a not particularly like showy or cocky way but in kind of a like yeah i'm used to all these people's bullshit so uh go on, do your bullshit. I'll just be here. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of the book, when the other prisoners are talking to Valkyrie and are just like, are you on our side? Are you here to help us do prison reform or something? You know, the other thing of this, the premise of this, it seems a little goofy because they tie up all the guys, they're making demands, like usually in a kind of like cinematic or TV show drama way, like it's like, we're gonna do, bring a helicopter and bring us to an island or get us out of here. And they're just like, call an exterminator to kill the rats. Well, that was something that I actually appreciated. I mean, I'm sure they would like to be out of the prison, but that wasn't what the prison riot was about. It was about the conditions within the prison. Like, yeah, one of the main ones seems to be like, I am lying in here. I had to kick heroin without having any access to a doctor. When I go to sleep, I'm worried about getting bitten by rabid rats. Like, these are inhumane conditions for me to be kept in. And the warden was a And the warden predator, is like a sexual like, predator yeah, who is, yeah, super gross, especially with what's been happening in the news this week. And, I mean, honestly, mm. whenever you end up listening to this... It's probably whatever is happening in the news this week, too, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But it was super satisfying because of that to just see Val not take any guff and punch the warden right in the face and send him flying. And it was a scene in which I was super glad that it was Sal Buscema drawing this because he draws some of my favorite people getting punched going flying. Mm -hmm. uh, the shitty warden's face is just that salbucema upside down trapezoid that has spittle stalactites mm -hmm. it was a really satisfying panel i agree but yeah i'm sorry as i was saying at the end when they do bust into the prison to liberate val one of the prisoners says you are on our side and luke cage intervenes and is like if she ain't she will be when i lay my prison reform rap on her mm -hmm. good for you luke cage 
And yeah, that was, I mean, that was the origin of Luke Cage. His initial story was one largely about the need for prison reform. He was an inmate who was being brutalized by a warden who had it out for him. And he just wanted to be treated like a human being. And that was not happening. Mm hmm. Luke Cage was great in this. I loved the interplay between him and Red Guardian, who Red Guardian's been kind of hit and miss lately, but she was really fun in this issue. She was issue. cool in this issue. She sasses a little bit. Mm -hmm. She ruminates a lot. Mm -hmm. She plays with a toy bat that I guess uh, Steve had lying around in his sanctum. Yep, like a bat with wings, not a Yeah, yeah, not a baseball bat. bat. She beats up a racist. That's mm -hmm. nice. Yep. She likes talking big, and Luke Cage is just like, <laughs> you know, I know you want to do that, but... I'm not doing that. I loved that. Mm -hmm. I loved both of their characters on that. And it makes sense for both of them. Mm -hmm. She is a, she's a doctor. She's very well educated. Despite the fact that she does fight street crime when she's in Russia, she's kind of insulated from a lot of what happens in the streets, especially in America. And she wants to like talk about the sociology of situations. And he's just like, yeah. I hear you. We can talk about that if you want, but it's not really relevant because these people are trying to live their lives. Mm -hmm. Like, there's the Bertolt Brecht quote, like, first there's fodder, then there's morality. Like, after you have food, then you can worry about what's right and wrong. But if you don't have your basic needs met, then you're not going to be worrying about that shit. Yeah, it's uh, Brecht's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the hierarchy of international vengeance and eliminations. The spicy poop rankings. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of Brecht. <laughs> what was it that we ended up talking about? Was it Maslow's hierarchy of wants? Yeah. I don't remember what the details were. Nor I. Ah. More forget juice? Why not? So, we talked about a couple of characters who did great this issue with Red Guardian and Luke. Mm -hmm. Valkyrie also does great. A mm -hmm. couple of characters don't do so great. Nighthawk? Seems like he's back on his bullshit. So quickly. I liked him so much better when he was having a psychedelic freakout and questioning the nature of reality. I like much better the, I need to know it's going to be okay. I need to know I'm okay. <laughs> I need you to tell me I'm okay. So much more than the, I know some big words and I'm in charge because I'm a rich white dude. I did like Luke Cage's response to that, where, like, Nighthawk's bossing everybody around. <laughs> you know, Norris, you called the, the hospitals, Power Man and Red Guardian, you guys go look for stuff. Y'all best watch that bark in your voice, Napoleon. Try and hold it down to a ring of authority. We'll check in here by phone in an hour. But yeah, he does that. Like, he doesn't, like, yell at him. He doesn't storm off. He's just like, oh, yeah, see that thing you're doing? Fucking watch it. And very pointed, too, though, like the Napoleon comment, because that really does get at this, like, you know. Yeah, it really seems like he does have some kind of a complex where he just needs to be in charge of things. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating because it seemed like he was making progress. I think they just need to start dosing him. I thought you were going to say they need to just keep taking his brain out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think that might be the, the solution. Maybe Red Guardian can join the team on a regular basis. Every time it seems like Kyle's getting a little too big for his britches, just uh, slice open the top of his head, scoop his brain out, put it in a punch bowl for a couple days. I think they should start with psychedelics. It would just be It'd easier. be a lot easier logistically. But they do have the world's foremost neurosurgeon on the team. So, you know, maybe make use of that occasionally. At least have that in your back pocket. Or even just some Jamaican incense. 
Sure, some strong Jamaican incense. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Kyle Richmond we're talking about. <laughs> right. Can't give the guy... <laughs> He's very wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> the finest incense Jamaica has to offer. Other characters that don't do great. Steve. Dude. I know you were going someplace else with it, but let's <laughs> we'll get to him. But Steve bothered me. I really like the illustration of Steve meditating, because... He's kneeling, and he's got his hands in kind of a prayer position, but uh-huh. they're a little bit off-center. And it, it does like look like he's doing a weird like little meditation dance thing in the middle of his pentagram with his candles burning. It was just very like gothy and goofy, and it amused me. Yeah, I could see that. It, that is a really cool illustration. I think he might just be off-center because he's just out of practice, and he's bad at meditating right now. Like, Where is the heart chakra? Oh, it's uh, over wait, wait, wait. here. I, oh, I, that's I, the root chakra. Oh, dear. Oh, oh dear. Oh, oh. Oh, I better uh, call back up that cauldron and make those tiny flame creatures fuck each other. <laughs> Forget about that. I'm pretty sure that's mostly because he says he's been in there. Like, the other defenders, especially Nighthawk, who's getting impatient, are like, he's been in there for hours i'm tired of waiting i feel like probably first 20 15 minutes he's like doing some meditation and then he's like wonder what those tiny flame ghosts are up to <laughs> better maybe check that out mm-hmm. hmm. but of course clea jumps to his defense <laughs> oh no this mystic um detective work takes a long time very serious here's the problem with what steve's doing though something is wrong with his mind where he can't activate his powers as well as he would like to. And he's like, there's something, it feels like there's something wrong with my brain. Mm -hmm. First of all, maybe put two and two together. You had some invasive brain surgery recently. Maybe that's involved. Do they know what happened to them, though? They just woke up with, like, machinery around them. We've been over that. I, I think, I mean, Jack Norris knows what happened to them. It's possible that he didn't tell them. We joked about that a lot. You really okay? Yeah, that's that's a possibility. But even if you discount that, something's wrong with his brain. So he's using his brain to figure out what's wrong with his brain. Go to an outside source, man. That's you can't fix your microscope that has a cracked lens by looking at it with a microscope that has a cracked lens. That's deep, man. Thank you. Yeah, he should go back to Doctor Gorilla Body. (laughs) No, he should be like, hey, last time I was here. I don't know what happened, but I can't do magic anymore, so... Look, you've got a gorilla body. How about you slice open the top of my head and just mash my brain with those gorilla fists? Help a magician out. Come on, buddy. (laughs) Be a good gorilla body. You're a doctor, ain't ya? There's a fraternity of colleagues that we are part of. Yeah. (laughs) No, but, like, you could go to Doc Samson. He's, like, a psychiatrist. Go to a psychiatrist. Talk to a hypnotist. Talk to Tanya. She's the world's preeminent neurosurgeon. Like, you have other resources than just navel-gazing right now. There's got to be, like, magician therapists in the Marvel Universe. I'm sure there are. All of the comic universes would have them. Oh, yeah. I'm sure this doesn't just happen to Doctor Strange. It probably happens to lots of It's very common. It it happens to (laughs) every magician. It's perfectly normal, Corey. So that's my problem with Steve. And that's really all he does in this issue is hide in his room and alternately use his mystical internet to amuse himself and look up WebMD things and freak himself out. Mm -hmm. So not great, Steve. Yep. The other character who's back on his bullshit, Jack motherfucking Norris. We joke a lot about him running around yelling, where's my wife? But he literally does this in all capitals. It is his catchphrase. 
if he was the thing, instead of it's clobbering time, his action figure would come with a little placard that says, where's my wife? And Kyle is back to calling him hubby, even though Valkyrie asked him not to do that. I really feel like Kyle and Jack Norris just bring out the worst in each other. Because when Jack was making most of his improvements, it was when Kyle wasn't around. Mm. And vice versa. It's just, it's frustrating to see his New Year's resolution to not be an asshole anymore lasted so briefly. And I think it's characteristic that it, that it would just be like, I've been not an asshole for like three hours now, and you guys aren't treating me like I'm a wonderful person. That's it. I'm back to being an asshole. Did my part. Yup. This isn't on me. This is on you. But too bad, because yeah, Jack Norris just does basically totally revert to his initial character of running around and yelling. He's like, I was pacing back and forth in your apartment, Kyle. You guys haven't called me? And Kyle's shitty and snide to him. Mm -hmm. Kyle has a quip. Sorry about that, Jack. We've been busy battling bozos and alien apes. It slipped our collective consciousnesses. So now he's mocking his own awakening experience that he had being a brain in a bowl. They're a mutually bad influence on one another. I, I really like the last panel on that page, though, where, like, yeah, Norris is running around, kind of freaking out, and, <laughs> and Luke Cage comes over and sort of puts his arm around him. And it's drawn per with perspective, but the perspective is such that it, it makes Cage look huge and, like, makes Norris look kind of like a child mm-hmm. that is being scolded for being, a <laughs> like, a whiner. Yeah, and specifically what Luke is saying to him is, all right, all right, cool it. Suppose you tell us all about it. Nice and calm-like. And Jack Norris is like, right, just like a bedtime story, huh? Okay. (laughs) Such an asshole. He really is. And he was doing so well for a minute there. He learned to use a phone. The other thing about Jack Norris is he was like, it's been two days since I've heard from Val, and I've just been spending that time pacing around in in a rich dude's apartment. Get a job, Jack. Make something of yourself. Get a job or a hobby. It's you just you're just hanging around and mooching off Val, who is mooching off Steve. Like she's new to the planet, she doesn't understand like necessarily how things generally work in terms of rent. But you do, Jack. Knock it off. He's a real bozo. He's a bozo and a half. He's three bozos. He's three bozos. He's three bozos. Yeah, I. That's sorry. the worst. It's the worst <laughs> amount of bozos you can be. It's impossible to be more than a three bozo bozo. Man, rough. Don't but be fair. like Jack Norris. No, we're all partial bozos. Well, yeah, but like keep Goes it, keep it to like, keep it to half a bozo or under. Do your best. Yeah, come on, that's all any of us can do. Take a deep breath. <sighs> oh no! Ah, oh, jeez. Oh, well, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Other defenders we get in this book, we get to see Clea doing something. Yep. Clea shows up with the team. She helps out. She is, I believe, at this point in the Doctor Strange book, she is fresh off of her below-decks dalliances with Benjamin Franklin. Oh, that's why it's so awkward. And it has rejuvenated her. She, she made a giant distraction for the police officers who all decided to look directly at the new son that appeared and let the defenders break into prison. For which, there are no repercussions. Because even in the Marvel Universe, being rich has its privileges. Like, they bust through a prison wall and everyone's response is, oh, well, these are some influential wealthy people. Yeah, that's true. I Do you think 
No, because they had to distract the cops to get in there. I was thinking, like, maybe it was a situation of, oh, the superheroes are here to uh, quell the riot. Or no, which is which is what the, the prisoners felt mm-hmm. initially. But no, they're just... Uh, Breaking their buddy out of jail. Yep. That's not very law-abiding. No, well, I mean, Kyle paid off the police commissioner. <laughs> That's true. I guess we get that whole interaction. Where... Former super criminal, too. So and yeah. law-abiding is not really their thing. Yeah, and just goes to show. Doctor Strange, maybe. Like, the laws of magic. Yeah, and also, like, we know that he has government contacts. He'd probably pull a few strings. Or just mind-wipe people. (laughs) Just mind-wiping left and right. I think he probably does, like, I'll hook you up with mystical internet Wi-Fi for three days. You won't believe what these tiny flame ghosts are up to. We do get to see, I believe her name is Francine, the uh, mean lady who's been bullying Valkyrie. She's a real dummy. She is a real dummy. Oh, although, I think it settles the debate, or not even the debate, but the questioning that we were having about Val's prohibition against hurting women. Right. We couldn't decide if it was uh, an intentional thing or uh, accidental, and I'm pretty sure she really intentionally puts Francine in quite a pickle. Yeah. It doesn't suffer for it. It really seems like more than either of those things, it is perhaps a psychosomatic thing with Val. Like, because it doesn't make any sense, frankly. The way that she injures this lady is the lady goes to hit her with a chair, Mm -hmm. and she's holding on to the chair real tight. Mm -hmm. So Val grabs the chair and flings the chair into the wall, and the lady happens to follow with it. Mm Mm-hmm. That is one hell of a tiny loophole. Very convenient, Val. Super convenient. But she's like, well, I didn't hurt her. It was her own malice that was her undoing. That's like half an inch away from, I'm not punching her. I'm punching that shirt. She happens to be wearing the shirt. The shirt got knocked into her. It's the shirt that did the damage. Bad shirt. Well, that's probably why when (laughs) she beat up those hairy ape ladies, lizard ladies? Lizard, lizard apes. They weren't wearing shirts. Exactly, that was the issue. Yeah, It's wildly inconsistent. Strange. Yeah, but I did like her whole arc in this issue, and she was very much back to, like, acting like the Valkyrie that, not even necessarily the Valkyrie that she used to be, but the Valkyrie that I always wanted her to be acting like. We would see flashes of it before, but she's just calm and self-assured and not taking any shit, and it was really nice to see. I hope that the prisoners end up getting the prison reform because it seems like even the mean bully lady who had taken charge of the riot had such reasonable demands. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, get some exterminators in here. The thing that surprised me was that nobody seemed to be asking, hey, maybe we could get a new warden. We'd like to not be molested constantly. Can you do something about that? Like, I'm glad the dude got punched, but it's like it doesn't even occur to them that that could not be the case, which is sad. Well, it it was a different time when everybody was awful. Yeah. Uh, frankly, it doesn't seem like that I different know, a time. That's, that's, <laughs> didn't really come out quite. Yeah. Well, it came out how it came out, but yeah. we are where we are. And Indeed. <laughs> yeah. In-depth analysis from Titan of the Deep. I don't like to get political, but... <laughs> oh, there, there's Corey on his soapbox again. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay, enough of that. Politicking. There was a name I had to look up. Oh. And that was Ray Harryhausen. Ray Harryhausen is fucking rad as shit. It is a pretty cool name. I didn't know who it was, but it was in reference to... It was the one good thing... It was in reference to Chandu. It was the one good thing that Jack Norris did or said in this issue. He referred to Chandu as a uh, something like a Ray Harryhausen creation or something. He did. He, honestly, his whole bedtime story that he told that was the flashback scenes, it was enjoyable to read. It's He's such a dislikable character that when he has enjoyable stuff, I feel bad for liking Because <laughs> like, I enjoyed it too. Yeah, no, I, I know like, what you mean. Like, Damn it, I don't want to like this. But yeah, he also does a weird thing where he just kind of, during that same exchange, because yeah, he talks about Ray Harryhausen. Animator. Who, yeah, did basically special effects for monster movies, starting with the mighty Joe Young and going up to Clash of the Titans. The Voyage of Sinbad, he did like stop motion animation and created all of these creatures and did an amazing job. He was also like super tight friends with Ray Bradbury. Because they both liked dinosaurs. And, like, they would, That's like, show each other their toy dinosaurs. Oh. It's fucking adorable. And he just was amazingly brilliant. There's a really good documentary about him. I can't remember what it's called. But if you look up Ray Harryhausen documentaries, it's very much worth seeing. And just, like, yeah, he's great. I liked that Jack brought it up. Me too. I also kind of liked, was mostly just a little bit confused by... Him just speculating about Amelia Earhart? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was... Because, yeah, when, when Kyle flies off to start looking for Val, he says, uh, Val's not exactly helpless. Wherever she is, I'm sure she's okay. And Jack Norris thinks, uh-huh, that's what they said about Amelia Earhart, too. If a lamprey-armed mystic snatched her out of her plane, where would he have taken her, I wonder? Yeah. yeah. One does I, I, wonder one, such things. We, we all wonder that from time to time. Dude with lamprey eels for arms and snatched Amelia Earhart. Where would he take her, Corey? Where would he take her? He would take her to a posh lunch club. Oh, on the top floor of a building no, in that... New York. So you think that's just his go-to spot? He doesn't have different places that he takes her. You think like when Chandu shows up with a different lady that he's taken to the fancy place that they're going to smash the shit out of, the waitstaff is just like, oh, he's back with another one. Mm -hmm. Typical. Should should we tell her? I don't really see how else it would go. Yeah, that seems seems accurate. Okay. Fucking Chandu. I also feel bad for him. Can you imagine waking up like that? <laughs> I mean, he's a real asshole. Sure, but yeah, well, that what would... a body. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, <laughs> what a body. <laughs> yeah, that didn't come out quite right. Yeah, no, that that would be a real how do you do. I might not unlike Luke Cage on the cover of this issue. If I woke up and had chicken legs and a unicorn horn and a snake tongue and bat wings and six lamprey eels instead of arms, I might exclaim, Beans! Yeah, nobody says beans anymore. That is a good exclamation. <laughs> to be fair, nobody said beans then either. Oh, really? That wasn't a 70s thing? I'm pretty thing. <laughs> sure that wasn't a 70s thing. Seems like maybe a 30s thing. Ah, beans! Yeah. See? Yeah. I think it probably the intonation would have been different. I think it would be like an exclamation of delight, like a hobo would say. Beans! Like, beans! Like Hulk would say. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, like, okay. <laughs> Corey. Yes. Tell me, you got me a fancy present and tell me what it is. Hub. 
I got you a fancy present. It's a can of beans. Beans. <laughs> he looks so happy, you guys. Well, it was beans. Yeah. Beans, Corey. Yeah. Beans. Whoa. Well, you ready to get into the minutiae? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. Hit it, Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. What was your favorite sound effect? There were some great sound effects in this issue. There really were. I liked most of the prison fighting sound effects. They were very good. I like it when Val... I was going to say I like it when Val was first accosted by the warden, but I did not like that. No. What I did like was when she slaps his hand away. What noise does it the make? The slap makes a twap noise. Pretty good. Which is followed up by her hurling the warden into a wall. He lands upside down, and that makes the noise crumpsh. Pretty good. It's like a smash and a crumb. Sure, because he's a real crumb bum. Right. Crumbs all over that bum. Ugh. Yeah, I hope those rabid rats get at him. Oh, that's what you'll get. Harsh but fair. Yeah, you're going to be a crumb bum. You're going to get rabid rats biting your ass. (laughs) That's what they say. Yep. Very popular adage. And you know what I would say if I saw that that crumb bum was having a rabid rat bite him right on the ass, possibly in the ass? (laughs) No. What would you say? Beans! (laughs) Of course you would. What sound (laughs) did you like? I think my favorite sound effect is when... Val totally no-sells a punch from the mean bully lady. The lady punches her as hard as she can in the gut, and it makes the noise thunt. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such an evocative sound where it's just like a dull thud that is just like, oh, that is so anticlimactic. And the lady tries to play it off like, I must have pulled my punch. And Val's like, no, you didn't. You punched me as hard as you could, and it didn't have any effect. She was now shook. knock it off. She was shook, too, though. Like, you could... She was drawn in a way that was like, what the fuck just happened? The lady? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm a strong lady. Yeah. I usually punch people, and they're like, ow, it hurts. Yeah, they're like, ow, stop punching me. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> no. I love that whole scene. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. And that was my favorite sound effect. There was another one that was later on in the fight that was like a whash. Oh, I had that, too. And I had the one that led up to it, which was crump. But oh, yeah. I think I might like that also because it reminded me of that dancing, clown dancing documentary. Oh, yeah. Rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crump is pretty good. Whash is the mean lady getting slammed into a wall by the chair, not by Val. Yep, that's why it doesn't make a crumpsh noise, which it would make if Val had just hurled her into the wall. Like oh, she did totally. The yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Well, it's, it's physics. It's You don't need to talk down to our listeners, Corey. They, they know what sound it makes. Sorry, guys. Sartorially speaking, what instances of fashion did you feel were worthy of note? Well, has Clea always had that collar as part of her getup? I think so. It looks particularly triangular and weird. Yeah. It looks like... It looks like like a a, flying V guitar. Yeah. It looks like she's sticking her head through a flying V guitar. With little stars drawn on it. Yeah, but like like you would see on a cartoon wizard hat. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she has always had a collar. I don't think it has always been that pointy. Very pointy, very flying V, very weird. 
I feel like that would be something Steve might say if he was awkwardly trying to pay Clea a compliment. He'd be like, hello, Clea. You look very pointy today. Because <laughs> he's got synesthesia? or Because he's just bad with people. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and she's oh. got a pointier outfit than usual. She really does. Okay. I, I, I thought so. What about you? What clothes did you find worthy of note? I liked the fuchsia jumpsuit that the junkie that Luke thinks is Valkyrie oh, Miss, is wearing. Miss, uh, glassy eyes. <laughs> I love Luke Cage. <laughs> it, it's such a weird combination of like... That's a gentle diss. <laughs> not that gentle. I mean, it's certainly hiding behind the veneer of politeness. But yeah, that lady's wearing like a fuchsia jumpsuit. It's, it's a fairly nice look. From behind, he's like, oh, I think I see Valkyrie. He goes up and starts talking to her. And she looks like she is freaking out. It, it is an impressive illustration because she absolutely looks like a junkie. She, mm-hmm. she has a face networking in a dive bar in downtown Portland. I got to know pretty well. Like, you get to recognize, oh, yes, that person is a habitual heroin user and is not having a good time right now. Could you tell apart the different, because you drunks, I'm sure, were very familiar, yep. but, but then the finer points of it were different drugs, could you tell? Yeah. Heroin people versus the cocaine people? I guess the cocaine people just wouldn't stop. Uh, yeah, you you did get to the point where you were like, oh, okay. That person is on heroin and is in this... Like, there were different stages of it, too. Like, there would be the person that was on heroin who would come in, and the way you could tell was they would be overly friendly and would basically just go out of their way to just be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know up front I'm totally fine and uh, everything's normal. I'm very friendly. I want to shake your hand right now. And then that would lead to them then just, like, nodding off. Mm. And you'd be like, hey, dude, you can't go to sleep here. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm, of course, sir, of course. No, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah. Yeah, I unfortunately did get to know all of the different ways that disqualified people from receiving service in a bar. Good to know. Yeah. Of them, honestly, the one that was most difficult to deal with is probably the least long-term harmful for the user. Uh, People on psychedelics were my absolute least favorite people to deal with as customers because it could go anywhere Mm -hmm. immediately. Mm -hmm. You can't predict it and you can't really reason with people very well. Or I couldn't. I'm sure there are probably people who can. I know this has come up before, but I, I always feel sad when I have to tell you I'm not the macho man randy savage no i can't can't, i can't just guide people through a good trip you're not the trip whisperer no no (laughs) you're not funky like a monkey oh yeah (laughs) i'm I'm funky like a gibbon maybe but yeah so luke has this interaction with this woman (laughs) excuse me sister but you wouldn't happen to be and she's like "Ooh, hey man whatcha and he just goes nope Which is, that is the absolute right, just right like that. Guess you wouldn't. Sorry to bother you, Miss Glassy Eyes. (laughs) Just mistook you for someone else. Ouch! (laughs) Like, very polite, very formal, but just like, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Heroin Addict. I didn't mean to disturb you. It's, it's a weird choice that he makes there. And then that's when her drunk racist boyfriend comes in and starts hassling him and being a dick and... Like, 
being pretty overtly racist against Luke Cage. And his response is perfect. He's like, yeah, look, you can't hurt me, but you're starting to piss me off. Hey, Red Guardian, you want to beat this guy up? And she's like, with pleasure. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you got to have a woman do your fighting for you. He's like, no, I'm just very angry and I might kill you. So good job, Luke Cage. Yep, that, that was cool. And that's fashion. I guess it is. Oh, there was one other bit. I really don't like Jack Norris, but he's got a pretty cool jacket. Yeah, he started wearing like a kind of short trench coat with a big collar. Giant lapels. Yeah, it really does make him look kind of like a detective, which maybe you could get a job as a detective, Jack Norris. You learned how to use a telephone recently. Mm -hmm. Seems like that's a big part of the job. Start calling everybody and saying, where's my wife? That's what detectives do. <laughs> yep. Aaron Aronson. Where's my wife? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Bye. Aaron Arvidson. <laughs> Where's my wife? <laughs> <laughs> we found a new job for Jack Norris. Good for us. Yeah. All right. Worst offender, best defender. Oh, man. My notes are pretty silly. Um, do you want to start with best? Sure. Let's start with best. Valkyrie. Yep. I wrote down, I like Val. I do too. She did a great job. She and... did a, yeah, great job and very cathartic to see her just punching the shit out of a sexual predator. Yep. Fucking good for her. Both her and Luke Cage just acted with quiet confidence in this issue in a way that was really refreshing. And Luke Cage was my backup, but it was a fairly Valkyrie centric issue and she did a really good job. Yep. She figured out her fun loophole to being able to hurt her fellow woman. Yep. If that ever... Hmm. Yeah. I just... She can't start, like, carrying chairs around. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> she how could. She... She's very strong. That's true. And Kyle Richmond's very rich. He could just, you know, hire a chair caddy. That's true. He could. Okay. Maybe that could be another job for Jack Norris. He could be Valkyrie's chair caddy. Just carry an assortment of chairs and stools. Nope. He won't. And you know the reason why? Because he's too busy calling Alan Aronson? Where's my wife? No, because he's the worst. He is the worst. Yes, uh, worst offender, Jack Norris. Yeah, I didn't know if that's bending the rules because he's not like technically in the gang. He makes some calls team. in their behalf in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> and he has previously been part of the team when he was trying harder not to be an asshole. I think it works. Yep, so... That was what I wrote down under worst. Actually, what I wrote was, where's my wife? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I do know what you mean. Yeah, I also had Jack Norris, although it was a little bit tighter for me between him and Steve and Kyle. They all did bad. Boo. Corey, which character just had to be a sucker? Which ha character acted in a way contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? Like the fat boys in Crush Groove said, who just had to be a sucker? I had the Red Guardian because she was a real jerk to Luke Cage a couple times, and she was pretty cool <laughs> in this issue. So. so turning it around and being a cool, cool lady? Yeah. Yeah, in the past couple of issues, she really had been a pretty shitty comrade to the working man. Like the one working man in the issue to pile shit on him under the guise of her communist ideals was pretty shitty, and now she's being pretty cool. So, yeah, I think that's a fair choice. I think Val's loophole of being able to now hurt women, as long as it's not <laughs> directly, I think could qualify. The other thing that 
I think is probably worth noting, though, is we see that Nighthawk swung by the headmen's old headquarters. How the fuck did he know where that place was? He was dragged there when he was unconscious. They scooped his brain out, put it in a bowl. Jack Norris went back there in his body. He had never been there before. His brain spent a lot of time there sitting in that bowl of who knows what. So you think his brain just developed some kind of a GPS in that? Well, it was sitting in the punch bowl full of uh, LSD. Well, it's a punch bowl full of LSD. Anything could happen. Okay, fair enough. Then I'm going with Val. Okay. <laughs> Corey. Yes. What was your pie not made out of steel? What was your pin moss? I'm sorry? Uh, pin moss. Pie not made of steel. Ah, acronyms. Yeah. What metaphor did you like? Like you would like a pie not made out of steel. I liked a bit of dialogue on page 11. Ah, I think we may have had the same one. It, it kind of goes on for a bit. It's worth it, though. Yeah. You want to be Red Guardian and I'll be Luke Cage? Sure. Never have I walked amid such squalor, such depravity as this place you call Times Square. What is the lore of these streets, Mr. Cage? What do all these gray faces expect to find here? Cheap thrills and other gray faces, I suppose. I know. You were hoping for a more sociological type answer. But lady... Nobody around here lives in the abstract and lives for long. This here is a war zone. You dig? It's... Uh, hold up. I just spotted a familiar head of hair. Yeah. I love that she's like, what do all these gray faces expect to find here? Cheap thrills and other gray faces, I suppose. I love that. Very nicely done, Mr. Cage. Social commentary. What was your favorite panel? My favorite panel was on page 15... And it's called Warden Punch. I had the same thing, and I called it the same thing. Look at my notes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Just, we, have uh... been, we have been doing this too long, sir. I agree. 100 episodes. Dang. Good gravy. Yeah, Warden Punch. It's so cathartic. Very satisfying. Just, he really goes flying. Like I said, I'm glad it's Salbusema illustrating it, because, yeah, he gets the full Salbusema trapezoid mouth treatment, flying into a wall. Don't fuck with Valkyrie. Don't. Don't fuck with women, man. Like, don't molest them and shit. Or you'll get fucking beaten the shit up. <laughs> we need more Valkyries. We need we need more, yeah. More Valkyries, less Wardens. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good, put that on a picket sign. Sure. Nobody will know what we mean. But... <laughs> nope, won't make any goddamn sense, but yeah. Well, although he did not appear in this issue, except for in flashback... We still both know that the Hulk rules. As such, from this issue, what is the Hulk's rules? <sighs> yeah, this is a stretch. We don't see a lot going on, but there is a scene from back in previous issues where we see the Hulk uh, carrying a wounded Aragorn and a stupid Jack Norris through the air as he's jumping mm -hmm. to the ASPCA. And so the Hulk's rules are respect animals. Fair enough. Especially Pegasus's. I think that is a fair extrapolation of the Hulk's rules. I decided to go with what lesson I think the Hulk would learn from this comic book in general. So for my Hulk rules, I have the Hulk in a scathing indictment of capitalism that he learned from this issue, where a rich man just has to pull a couple of strings to get his friend sprung from prison, while there are tons of people who have been in there for years in horrible conditions. The Hulk learned from this issue that in a capitalist society... Life's a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less you have to eat shit. 
Damn. Yeah, the Hulk's deep as fuck, man. Yeah, that's a gross metaphor. Yeah, well, the Hulk's pretty gross. <laughs> that's the Hulk's and rules. And that's the Hulk's rules. Life's a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less you have to eat shit. Respect Pegasuses. And respect Pegasuses. <laughs> Corey, let's make a long distance call. All the way back to... The year of our Lord, 1976, mm. and the month of our Lord, September. Okay. Let's make that Wong distance call. Sure. What was Wong up to right then? Oh, man. I gotta tell you, he was annoyed. Oh, yeah? Why was he so annoyed? He was so annoyed because Doctor Strange had just discovered the hit single Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. Yeah? And he would not stop playing it. Oh, dear. Wong was annoyed for a couple reasons. One, because, yeah, it's a fine song, but played on repeat, it gets old. Also, sure. on the 28th of that month, Songs in the Key of Life, TV Wonder, Masterpiece, uh -huh. had come out. And Wong's like, well, if you like funky music, you should really try this. And Strange is like, nope, play that funky music, <laughs> white boy. And Wong is like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so annoyed. Ah, uh, that's got to be pretty frustrating for Wong. It was frustrating. Also... After that exchange, Wong wanted some quiet time. He wanted sure. to enjoy the premiere of Charlie's Angels. Yeah. It had been hyped up. He was pretty excited to see it. But he could just hear that bass reverberating <laughs> through the floorboards. Couldn't enjoy himself. That's a damn shame. Yep. Yeah. Dr. S thought he was so funky. Very I annoying. can totally picture that. Yep. Play that funky music, <laughs> white boy. <laughs> mm, very good. Wong, can you do me a favor? Play that funky music, white boy. Not amused. Yeah. Well, that certainly did take up a fair amount of Wong's time that month. But Wong did have a pretty happy moment. See, Wong, like myself, big Dean Martin fan. <laughs> and like a lot of people of his generation, he was probably first exposed to Dean Martin from the uh, Martin and Lewis movies. At War with the Army, The Caddy, you know, not... My particular cup of tea, but Wong was able to get a fair amount of amusement out of them. So, he was watching the Jerry Lewis telethon, and Dean Martin made an appearance. Mm. Now, Wong's not a huge Jerry Lewis fan, but he was really happy to see Dean Martin, and it was nice that he thought that they made up. They didn't really make up. They showed up on stage, and then Dean Martin went back to not talking to Jerry Lewis for another, like, 30 years, I think. But it was a nice moment, and Wong was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Now, with Valkyrie staying with him, she had done some rearranging of things in the refrigerator. And so Wong went to get some sodas out of the fridge. And they were instead some pretty strong beers. Newcastle Brown Ale. <laughs> Probably something like that. I think maybe something a little more Nordic. But uh, mm. but yeah, she likes to quaff her ale. You know, she's a Viking. Sure. You know. Yeah. Wong was not prepared for that. But he found he enjoyed the sensation. So after he got into what he thought were some uh, pretty strong sodas, he was like... I really like D. Martin. I'm going to tell... I'm going to tell Jerry Lewis that is nice. That he's friends with D. Martin. So he went to place a phone call to what he thought was Jerry Lewis. But because of the beers, he got a little bit confused. And he accidentally dialed Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, Wong number. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was placing a long-distance call and he got a Wong number. Uh-oh. 
And Jerry Lewis answered the phone, and he'd actually heard about Wong's exploits uh, and was really excited that Wong had called him. And then Wong immediately was like, you don't sound like Jerry Lewis. What's... He's like, this is the killer himself, Jerry Lee Lewis. And Wong's like, oh, yeah, you married your 13-year-old cousin. I, sorry, I don't want to talk. I had, sodas are bad. (laughs) And then he hung up the phone. Right. Jerry Lee Lewis was very upset. As you do. And so later that night, he himself got drunk. And he was like, god damn, I wanted to talk to Wong and... He couldn't cause a soda, I guess. And he got really upset and started just shooting soda bottles because he hated soda. Oh, no, I know what happened. And when he was trying to shoot a soda bottle, he accidentally shot his bass player, Nelson Owens, in the chest. Twice. Twice. Because <laughs> he was so mad at soda because of what happened. Oh, no. That's what happens when you make a long distance call. To the and it's wrong the... number. Uh-huh. What an exciting and sad month. Indeed. <laughs> exciting when you drank those sodas and they made you feel funny. Mm-hmm. But sad when you had to listen to Stephen Strange listen to play that funky music, White Boy. Over again. And over. Well, thank you so much for listening to us, dear listener. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. Yeah, at ttwasteland underscore. We are on Instagram and Facebook Mm -hmm. and Tumblr Mm -hmm. and um, podcastings. Yeah, and podcastings. Just get your podcasts where you get your podcasts. And we'll be there, probably. I hope so. If we are, leave us a review. If we're not, tell them, hey, you should carry this podcast. It's tops. Yeah. It's the beans. Beans. Yes, and then you'll be so happy you'll exclaim, beans. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will be back next week with the second chapter in the Judas Contract Mm. in our coverage of the new Teen Titans. And we'll be back in two weeks with issue 40 of The Defenders. Also, if you would like to contribute monetarily to the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you will get access to a bunch of bonus material, including the monthly podcast that Lisa and I do about Howard the Duck. A new episode of that will have just gone up before this episode is up, so uh, you can check that out there. If you don't feel like donating or you can't afford to right now, that's fine too. You can just keep listening to the Defenders and New Teen Titans coverage that Corey and I will be providing. The in-depth coverage you crave. (laughs) Our top-notch analysis like you've just heard today. Tough news for tough times. Uh Uh-huh. And tough people. All around. Yep. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, boy. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Beans!